Welcome to Financial Planning Explained. I'm your host, Mike Menninger, certified financial planner, owner and founder of Menninger and Associates Financial Planning. Uh, as I always describe, this is an educational show that's fundamentally based on the six areas of financial planning, where you have cash management, tax planning, uh, risk management, investment planning, retirement planning, and estate planning. And this is the second episode of two that I'm pleased to have as my guest, Thomas Bayless, chartered financial analyst, and he is the founder and owner of Cornerstone Investment Research. Thomas, thank you again for joining me. Thank you. Um, as I pointed out in the first episode, uh, Thomas runs a group of chartered financial analysts that we as a firm have hired to serve as our outsourced chief investment officers, and they've done a tremendous job at really adding value to the firm and the services for investment planning and portfolio management that we provide to our clients. Thank you for that, and thank you for joining us today. So. Uh, this is the second episode, mm -hmm. and to um, full disclosure, we're uh, today is Friday, August fifth. Okay, and this doesn't air for another week. So if some data comes rolling in, and you say, "Hey, this is old news." Well, guess what? I'm at least telling you it's August fifth. So um, first episode, we were talking about the recession. Okay, two weeks ago or shall I say it was like Wednesday, July 27th, um, the Fed raised interest rates by three quarters of a percent to help combat inflation, which is sort of the purpose of the episode. The next day, uh, they announced the GDP was negative two, two quarters in a row, which created and sparked a debate as to whether or not we were in a recession. So if you didn't see the prior episode, that's what we're talking about are we or are we not in a recession? And the resulting conclusion was, who cares, okay? <laughs> I mean, we care about how the economy's doing, but who cares whether you define it or not? But um, as I've been saying since the beginning of the year is in my weekly market recap, uh, the 800-pound gorilla in the room is inflation. And it's a mess. So uh, the inflation numbers that we've been hitting, uh, as you can see by the graph, um, these are the highest inflation numbers that we've seen since like 1981, which is more than 40 years. And as you can see by this chart, you know, inflation was hovering for, gosh, almost 30 years under 3 or 4%, and then boom, it spiked. Absolutely. And, you know... Uh with as a result of uh, the massive amount of stimulus that we saw you know come into the economy in response to the pandemic you know the um, uh, not only did we have tremendous stimulus from a monetary basis from the by the federal reserve but also a tremendous amount of fiscal stimulus that uh, went into the economy and in fact we spent more on the war against covid than we did in World War II. That's remarkable. Um, and so the amount of money that- World War II is a five-year, four-year war for us, six years. Mm -hmm. And we're sending people overseas, and we spent more on COVID. That is remarkable. Yes, and all of that stimulus coming into the economy, you know, uh, 
had an impact that we're dealing with today in terms of inflation? Well, and I've heard a lot of different things. You know, the, the consumer spending a lot of money and, and that's creating a lot of it. Would you say that's the major piece of it? Well, yeah, so we saw a shift during the pandemic where consumers were forced to spend money on stuff instead of services. So they were buying goods, oh, right? Right, Because they couldn't go do anything. I mean, the restaurants were closed. I mean, if you were trying to keep your local restaurant in business, maybe you went and got takeout and you brought it home. Right, that's you, about it, but you but, couldn't go to the restaurant. But you couldn't go to the restaurant. So you, you couldn't go, I mean, uh, you know, uh, travel was shut down in large part. I mean, so you saw yeah. far less travel. So well, it was either uh, shut down or you didn't want to go. But yeah, for sure. Either way. And so you saw this, this massive uh, rise in good spending as people during the pandemic, they, you know, they invested in uh, more computers because they were working from home. They bought that Peloton because they were exercising from home because their gym was closed. Right. Uh, they, you know, they, uh, they, they bought all of these things because they, they couldn't really go spend money on services. Or they didn't want to go to the stores. So the companies that made out were the delivery companies, UPS, FedEx, and Amazon. For sure, <laughs> for sure, for sure. And you know, while there's been some rebalancing of that as, as we've come out of the pandemic and there's been a rebound in the services, you know, sectors like restaurants and travel and so forth, you know, there's still a fair amount of good spending that's been going on just because of a robust consumer. Well, throw that in. So in other words, you're just creating a greater, a pent up demand. Throw on the supply chain problems. And I know you had said in the last episode that the port of Los Angeles, you had all kinds of ships sitting out there in the harbor. We couldn't get the goods to the stores. I mean, think about sort of jokingly, all of the, you couldn't get paper towels or toilet paper at the store. Which is kind of funny, I, you know, hey, if I'm thinking I can't get something, I'm not thinking I gotta go take all the toilet paper, anyway, just separate issue. But that was an issue. Yep, and, and you know, we like to think because we can find most of the things that we want at the grocery store now that supply chain issues are in the rear view mirror, but frankly, they haven't been because we've had other things that have impacted them. So you've had China shutdowns that, you know, their, their kind of zero COVID policy is, continue to make it problematic for goods to get you know manufactured and out of China. You so know, it wasn't a transporting, it was an actual manufacturing in China. Yeah, for sure. Uh, in addition to that, you've got, um, uh, uh, in addition to the, the China piece, uh, you've got, I lost my train of thought. Um, well, so the goods are not being transported, they're not being manufactured. What goods specifically were impacted by China shutdown? Was it Beijing that was shut down? Was it Beijing or Shanghai? One, one of the major cities was shut down, which was inhibiting production, okay, and therefore no transportation. What were the major goods that got hit? I, I understand semiconductors, but I'm getting mixed up between Taiwan and, and China. Well, chips have definitely been a pain point. I mean, and anybody that's tried to buy a car, which was the point that I was trying to come up right. with. Right, okay, there you ago, go. I'm here to help. Um, you know, I, I've got a daughter that graduated from college last year that has needed a car for uh, you know quite some time. And you know, uh, finding cars, whether it's a used car or a news car, a new car has, has, has been astonishingly hard, and we've seen you know dealer markups on new cars, inven low inventory levels. Now that's started to pull back very recently. Yes, I heard that. You know, just a bit. So it's not as bad as it was, you know. But supply chain problems have continued, you know, to impact the amount of supply that's available, and therefore that's been a contributor to inflation. Well, it's very simple. If if there's not enough of something, 
and a whole bunch of people want to buy it, the people are going to be willing to pay more for it. Perfect example is the housing market. Look at that got out of control, in my opinion, out of control. So um, yet people will pay anything to get the house. So that created that. But part of the demand was, as you pointed out, it was a pent up demand. But I remember seeing a graph that had, and I know the Fed can somehow measure this, whether it's through the banks, I'm sure there is, but they measured how much money is out there as far as savings, checking, and, and CDs and stuff like that. And it was cruising along at 800 billion and zoom, shot yep. up to four trillion, yep. just like that. And that was the pandemic, that was the stimulus from two pieces. Here's extra money, but you can't spend it on anything. Mm -hmm. Now they're spending it. How much has that come down, do you know? So uh, there's still a significant surplus there. The last chart that I saw, I think, put it between two and three trillion. I thought so. Okay, that's what I thought too. Yep. So, but the other piece, you know, when it comes to inflation, that you know, that we talked a little bit about in the last episode, is energy prices. You know, the the Russian invasion of Ukraine created a commodity price spike that was felt around the globe, um, and you know, the biggest impact that we faced here was the price at the pump. Um, so we saw gas prices shoot up to over $5 a gallon on a national average at some point. You know, that plays a role um, in the headline inflation numbers that we see and was a contributor to us getting over 9% in terms of year-over-year -year CPI in June. Oh, that, that was crazy. And so it's, it's what people may not realize is that it's not just the gasoline that you pay or that we pay when we go to the pump, but it's also the fuel for the trucks that transport all the goods. Absolutely. And it is also the fuel that is used to generate electricity to power all the manufacturing plants, to flip the lights on, to turn on the AC. And so the increased cost really works its way all the way through the economy. That is ridiculous. Now, um, keep referring to the 800 pound gorilla being inflation. And I remember, I think it was the March inflation number was 8.5 and then, or 8.5, 8 8 then April was 8.3, and everybody was expecting it to come back down and continue on a trend down, and then all of a sudden, boom, it hits 8.6, went up, head fake, and it destroyed the markets. Yep, well, yes, and, and a lot of people got faked out by that. And, and you know, the, the other thing I think that was the big surprise for markets was the fact that uh, you know, the, the Fed Chair Jerome Powell seemed very sensitive to headline CPI in a way that we hadn't seen before. Historically, the Fed had really focused more on core inflation because that tends to be more stable, has less, is less impacted by things like food and energy prices that tend to be very volatile. Is that the difference between, for the viewers, the core and the headline? I'm sorry, headline includes food and energy. Yes. Core is everything but. Yes, exactly. But how can you exclude food and energy when they represent such a large component of the inflation. Well, and I think that's you know where Fed Chair Powell was going and acknowledging it because it's so front and center for everyone, you know that is you know uh, the, you know the average Joe. I mean, going to the gas pump, uh, going to the grocery store, and so how can you say that inflation is moderating when you look at core numbers when the the you know the headline numbers are so high and, and people are so impacted by the headline numbers. I mean, when it costs you $100 to fill up your gas tank, that's meaningful for a lot of people. So what you do is you only fill it halfway, <laughs> okay? 
So, so in the prior episode, you referenced that your measure of inflation is when your wife comes home from the grocery store. The reality is that since my grocery shopping is not exactly consistent every time, I don't recognize it. You know what I mean? So I'm not always going and buying the exact same thing. But so the Fed, the job of the Fed is twofold. What is the Fed's job? Yeah, so, you know, they're looking to create stable prices and full employment. All right, so here we are. Stable prices are non-existent. So this goes back to Volcker, who had the courage in 1980 and 81. What did he raise? Interest rates 12% in like a year and a half? Was that, was that what it was? It was something crazy like that. Yeah, uh, Volcker certainly, I mean, he raised interest rates, I think, 6% over a weekend or something at one point. I mean, That's crazy. Just, you know, just so, but numbers that were, they were dealing with double-digit inflation, too. I know. And so they had to find a way to get the inflation numbers down, and that was by increasing short-term rates to exceed them. Uh, we're not there yet. Um, no, but it was also a very effective job. So what he did was very effective, and yeah, we're not there yet. But the Fed has consistently been raising interest rates and doing other fiscal policy by not buying bonds and now they're selling them back in, which is sort of subtle and it's behind the scenes because we don't see it. When, all we hear, we being the general public, hears the announcement that the Fed is raising rates. So how many times have they raised rates already this year? Well, we saw them, they went a quarter point at first, then half a point, and then they've done two, three quarter point increases uh, in June and July. Uh, so that's two and a quarter percent that they've raised already. Mm -hmm. And so the next meeting is in the in end September. of September. Mm -hmm. So the, the talk of it is what, half a percent, three quarters percent? Well, I think with the, str the strong jobs number that we saw earlier today, you know, it's hard to say that the you know, that the economy is in a recession when you have 3.5% unemployment. Right. Half a million, over half a million new jobs created last month or in June, I think that number was four. Um, and so it's, it's hard to say that the economy is slowing the way it, the Fed needs it to. And part of the Fed's challenge is, is, is that it can only impact aggregate demand, you know, uh, indirectly in terms of the cost of funds. You know, the Fed can't control how much oil is available or how much refinery right. capacity there is. It can only control aggregate demand. And so, you know, those, it, you know, fortunately we've seen energy prices come back down in terms of pump prices, um, you know, over the last several weeks. But, you know, there's only so much they can, can do to control that. And unfortunately, some of the activity by the Fed that we've, from the Fed that we've already seen this year is going to have an even stickier impact on inflation. Um, you know, through owner equivalent rent. Yes, so, and, and back to the gas prices, that the gas prices impact you and I and everyone today, but it's a slower impact if it's the truck that delivers the goods and even the tankers or the planes, whatever, and by the time it makes it all the way down to the price that you pay in the store, is delayed, it's going to take a little while for that to, to seep in. Is that correct? Yeah, for sure. I mean, there's, there's no doubt that um, companies, uh, especially um, companies in the goods sector, have been taking prices up in, you know, to preserve their margins. But there's only so much of that they can do. Right. Uh, um, and as you know, demand and supply come further back into balance, you know, that you know, will, will tend to moderate. But 
you know, the, the inflation numbers that, we, that we've seen this year, I mean, there are certain parts of it that are stickier than others. Um, and, and we talked about owners equivalent rents a little bit. I'd like to build on that. So when the Fed raised interest rates a couple of months ago, we saw a shoot up in mortgage interest rates. Uh -huh. uh, where you know, it used to be, uh, you know, the mortgage rate was, you know, shy of three. Was, was just you know, around 3% and it right. shot up to almost double or it was in the mid fives. And some of that activity actually pushed your marginal home buyer out of the market and kept them in the renting space. Right. And so again, supply and demand, if you've got more people that need a, a finite right. number of rental units, then rents are gonna go up. Right. And so the owner equivalent rent makes up a huge portion of the consumer price index. And some of those numbers are baked into the cake for a while. And so it's unlikely that we're gonna see those numbers come down sharply anytime soon. Those numbers tend to be very sticky. Yeah. Um, and you know, combined with the fact that you know, these fuel prices as they spread through the economy in terms of like, you know, things like food at home, another you know, part of, an, uh, of the CPI that has seen significant increases this year are, are likely to stay for a bit. Yeah, so we're up against break. What I'd like to do is, is pick up where we left off. And um, when we come back from break, we'll talk more about the inflation and the Fed's job of trying to control inflation. So we'll be right back with you in just a few moments. Have you saved enough for retirement? Are you financially prepared for an emergency or unexpected event? Have you thought about your financial future? Hi, I'm Mike Manager, founder of Manager & Associates Financial Planning. For over 20 years, we have been answering our clients' questions just like these as we develop unique and comprehensive financial plans tailored to meet their needs. When addressing your financial plan, we incorporate your entire financial picture, including taxes, estate planning, as well as investment planning and retirement planning. So call us today for a complimentary, no obligation consultation. A unique approach to financial planning. Welcome back to Financial Planning Explained. I'm your host, Mike Manager, Certified Financial Planner, and I'm pleased to be joined here with Thomas Bayless, Chartered Financial Analyst. So where we left off, we were talking